There was supposed to be a video, uh, but for technical reasons, we don't have that video playing. And that's probably what threw me off and didn't put my mic on. Uh, but it's a video that I know most of you will be able to call to mind. I would get us singing it. Uh, I know I've sung the tune many a time, especially when I worked in the corporate world. I mean, I'm pretty sure I've sung the tune as well when I've come to church now and again. But it's from that timeless Disney classic, The Seven Dwarves. You remember that song, Hi-ho, Hi-ho, It's Off to Work We Go. Remember that one? Anybody here ever sung that while on their way to work? Possibly not quite so cheerful as, as you're on your way to work. Certainly I know I haven't uh, sung it very cheerfully from time to time. So this past week, the 1st of September, marked my family's sixth anniversary of being here in Canada. Uh, so I've been here at White Raptors, yeah, thank, praise the Lord. Um, but you know, the one thing that probably took me the longest to get used to was the annual cycle, sort of the season of the year. Uh, in South Africa, it's very different. In South Africa, the school year runs from January through to December, and December is actually the summertime. So we have a summer break over December, which means Christmas, there's no snow. And I know for many of you, that would just seem very odd. Uh, although in South Africa, you know, the irony or the absurdity was we would still send Christmas cards that had like snow and snowmen on them. And I was always like, Why, what are we doing? We're in, we're in our shorts barbecuing. What's up with this? Uh, but, but it took us the longest time. It certainly took me the longest time to get used to the fact that here, the annual cycle is a little different. And we kind of go, especially if you've got children, we sort of get into that rhythm and that tune of how the new year begins in September, or at least the school year, I should say, begins in September. And so we kind of get used to going from September through to June when school ends, and we, we kind of then head into our good old summer break. Even the new year, the 1st of January, is an event, but it's kind of just this little break in the middle of winter break. You know, we celebrate, yay, we're all new year, but we go back to the very same thing we were kind of doing a few days before that. And so it's this adjustment that we've kind of gotten used to now of this calendar, the way the world works here in Canada and the way kind of we, the time works. And so I know for many of you, this final weekend of summer, and of course it's raining this morning, uh, but this final weekend of summer, for a lot of us, marks that transition, that change. Uh, you know, I could say it's that marking from going from vacation to vocation. And vocation is really just a fancy word for work. It's, we kind of go from leisure, we go from that break, and off we go to work. And of course, I, I'm well aware that for many of you, perhaps you're retired and perhaps your children have long since moved out the home and, and so you don't really operate in the same way. But I know you can appreciate that sense because we all go through it. And so today, with it being the Labor Day weekend and as we sort of celebrate with that last push before we're off to work, I, I want to kind of spend some time this morning focusing on work. Uh, focusing on this thing called work. Uh, does our work really matter to God, and how can we take our faith to work? 
Now, I know that as soon as I say that, some of you sitting out here this morning might kind of go, well, I don't work. Perhaps you're you know, a student. We've just said goodbye to our interns, and, and I know they don't yet kind of have their careers lined up, and they're still finishing off with school and things like that. Uh, and so you might sort of say to yourself, well, I, I don't really work. Or perhaps on the other end of the spectrum, you are retired. And you kind of go, well, I'm no longer getting paid for the work I do. And I want to acknowledge that just because you're retired does not mean you are not working. I was at the mall on Friday, and I saw what I assumed was a grandmother with six grandchildren in tow of varying kind of sizes, like here around the knee height. And all of them had something in their hand, and all of them were trying to get Gran's attention in that same space. And I thought, this grandmother is working hard right here. So just because you retired does not mean you are not working. But of course, I also know that there are a whole bunch of us this morning who, yes, come Tuesday, we're heading back to an office. We're heading back to a classroom. We're heading back to some place where we work. And so today I want to consider what is this thing called work? And how do we focus? How do we look at work as Christians? Does our work really matter? Does it matter to God? Now I know that as I speak about work, perhaps in a group like this, there are probably about three different views of work. Uh, of course, there would be, you know, it's not like three deliberate points, it would be a spectrum, but I think they would fall into three general categories. Some of you, when you think about work, whether past, present, or future, you might think to yourself, my work is a necessary evil. I have to do it to earn an income. I don't like it, but I have to. It's a necessary evil. And some of you might go, well, I, I, I kind of like what I'm doing, and, and I don't really mind it, but I would change if I had the chance. If the right door opened, if the right opportunity came, or a family member won the lottery, I'd be out of here. And then perhaps the third group of us might sort of say, well, my work is a gift from God. I do it because it fulfills me. It gives my life meaning and purpose. And as I say, I think all of us would fall kind of into one of those three categories. You know, work is one of the most significant parts of our lives. Of the 168 hours in a week, uh, many of us will spend at least 35 to 40 hours at work, some perhaps even 60 to 70 hours, especially those who might be working two jobs and to make ends meet. And some of us, of course, might not work that same length of time because, as I said, you're retired, uh, but you're still going to be busy. In fact, I'm amazed how often, for anybody who is perhaps close to retirement, and you're sort of thinking to yourself, I just can't wait to retire because I won't be as busy. Yeah, you heard that laugh. Because there are retired folks in our church who will always tell me the same thing, I'm busier now than I was back then. Okay, so it's not going to be a holiday the whole way through. There's still work. There's still busyness. And I know I've said this before. If you're not dead, you're not done. So whether you're working and getting paid or whether you're retired or not, there's still work to be done. There's still a place to serve. There's still an opportunity uh, to, to have an impact or to make a difference. 
And so we all understand the, the words labor or work or career or job or vocation, as I said earlier, are interchangeable. But I would imagine every one of us, every one of us has that desire that the work I do makes a difference. That the work I do actually has an impact. Is there something to this? You know, I worked in the IT, uh, in the corporate world in IT for nearly a decade before going into ministry. And I enjoyed it. And I'm not knocking IT. I'm not, you know, not at all. But I was often on standby. And I would get called at 2, 3, 4 a.m. because one of the service systems had failed. It wasn't running its processes. And I would have to get up and, and get this. This was in the days where, you know, like dial in and work from remote wasn't really a thing. And I would have to get in the car at like 2 a.m. and drive 20 minutes to work to go and work on a system. And I, I kind of eventually got to that point where I was like, you know what, if I get phoned at 2 a.m., I want it to be a matter of life or death. I don't want it to be just because somebody's system isn't making their money. And I think we all have that. We have that desire that what I do needs to make a difference. It needs to be life-giving. It needs to have an impact on the world around me. And I think part of why we have that longing within us is because we're made with that longing. God has made us to work. And God has made us to work in a way that does bring fulfillment and that does make a difference. In fact, in, in Christian theology, uh, this is called the cultural mandate, that God, in fact, has given us this mandate. God expects us to work. In fact, we see that command given to Adam in the Garden of Eden. If you have your Bibles with you, you can turn to Genesis chapter 1. I'm going to read from two passages today, one in Genesis and one in Daniel. And I want to read from Genesis chapter 1, uh, from verse 28. And have a look at this cultural mandate, and hopefully that will be up on the... That, okay. Well, then now you need to turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1. If somebody's got a pew Bible, you want to shout out a page number, we can help somebody else. Page two. Kind of makes sense, doesn't it? Eh? Genesis chapter one. It's right up there. Of course, if you've got, got a U version on your phone, you can turn to Genesis chapter one and click one. And I'm going to read from verse 28. I'm going to read just a, three or four verses here. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. And then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food, and it was so. And God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. You and I, humanity, human beings, we are created in the image of, of God. 
And part of this image is to work. God has given this mandate to, humani to humanity to work the land and, and in a sense, as the Scriptures say, to rule over, to have dominion of His creation. In fact, J.I. Packer puts it like this. He says, man was made to manage God's world. And this stewardship is part of the human vocation in Christ. It calls for hard work with God's honor and the good of others as its goal. We were made in God's image to manage what He's given to us. And our vocation is for God's honor and for the good of others around us. Labor, I think, or work is one of the most important things that we can do. It's one of the most important ways that we bear God's image. Because God Himself is a working God. In fact, we read that in Genesis chapter 2, and you can read that later on. And this is in contrast to the gods of the day. This is in contrast to Greek mythology, for example. When we read through Greek mythology and we see all these gods and, and the goal of the gods is really just to drink and be merry and to party and to be lazy in a sense and to forget about everything else. Whereas our God is a God who works and who works for creation and who works for community. And so we're, we're called to do the same. And discovering our true identity is not only about work, of course, but it does include our work. Vocation does not mean scrambling towards some prize just beyond measure, but accepting the treasure that I have in that vocation. It's not about, you know, I'm going to do this for the next 20, 30, or 40 years and, and hope to just get this great big nest egg so that I can sit on my butt and do nothing. No. Vocation is a gift from God. Yes, it brings me reward and it brings me fulfillment, but it's given to me for the benefit of others around me. I work because God works, and I work because God works for the good of others. In fact, Charles Ringmer from uh, Regent College describes this cultural mandate in this way. He says, it is joining God in God's caring, sustaining, and transforming activity on earth. We're called to work. God mandates it. God calls us to it. God gives it to us. So how then do I take my faith to work? How do I view work in such a way that acknowledges that my work matters to God? Well, this morning I want to look at Daniel as our example. I think Daniel is, is an incredible example for all of us as to what it means to work, and to work in such a way that brings glory to God, regardless of where we might find ourselves. So in those Bibles, you can turn to Daniel chapter 1. And I'm going to read a couple of verses just from that first chapter of Daniel. So we'll go from Daniel chapter 1. Page number, anyone? 873. Of course, I think there might be two different types of Bibles out there. So good luck. 873. Daniel chapter 1. And I'm going to read from verse 3 to 8. 
And then I'm going to jump ahead to verse 17 uh, to 20. So Daniel chapter 1, verse 3. And then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and nobility. Young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that they were to enter into the king's service. Among those who were chosen were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names. To Daniel, the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. But Daniel resolved himself, sorry, but Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. Now we jump ahead to verse 17. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. At the end of the time set by the king to bring them into his service, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered into the king's service. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. You know, when we read that, perhaps for some of us, we might forget just kind of how shocking or, or how, how much turmoil there was in that place for Daniel and his friends. Disaster had struck for them. These were young men from the tribe of Judah, the nation of Israel, and they've been taken into captivity under Nebuchadnezzar's reign. They've been pulled out of their towns and their homes, and they've been taken to a foreign place. And so for these young Jewish men, there was this, uh, this kind of question, where is God? Is God even here? Does God care about us? Where is Yahweh, their name for God? Has God, has Yahweh forgotten His people who've been taken into captivity and in a sense who have become slaves under a foreign power? You know, when I look at this kind of view of work that Daniel and his friends were forced into, I sort of wonder if maybe some of us kind of feel like that sometimes when we go off to work. It feels like we're working for some foreign king, completely alien worldview to what we have. He's completely different, has completely different demands and expectations. And kind of we feel like this is a challenge to us. You have to remember Babylon as a whole world at that time was completely a polar opposite to the way the Israelites viewed life and the world and God. Babylon was a, a nation of multiple gods. Babylon was a nation where debauchery was rife. 
where there were all sorts of challenges to anyone who might try and serve God, who might try and serve the one true God. Babylon was certainly not neutral in its worldview. And I wonder if sometimes we might feel like we're going into a workplace that is not neutral in terms of, of worldview, in terms of religion. We might feel like we're walking into a place that is completely anti-God. But I think we need to remember Daniel in that time. Because I think Daniel gives us a great example of what it means to take our faith into work. Even when work seems to be completely opposite and the people around us are completely opposite. Daniel still teaches us. Because Daniel still shows us what it means to be faithful in this environment. What it means to have a genuine faith in God and to live in such a way. You know, Daniel is taken from the tribe of Judah and he's put into the court of the king. And we read there that he's told or he's going to learn the language and the culture. You know, this is a radical assimilation program. The, the program is designed to try and get rid of every little bit of Israelite culture, every little bit of faith in God, every little bit of their history. It's designed to remove that and conform them to this Babylonian view. Yet Daniel shows us that we don't have to do that. Daniel resolves himself. You know, when we, we look at Daniel and his friends and how they're pulled out and they're forced into service of this pagan king, they're confronted with this difficult question day in and day out. How can I serve God? How can we serve Yahweh in this place? And of course, as we, we read there, they're selected for their natural abilities. And they're selected because they're handsome. That's one of the things. And they have capacity. They have capability. These men have natural talents. They have natural abilities. And they're selected for that. And of course, that's what the world looks at. That's what the world says is what will bring us success. If we have these qualities... But yet when we read through this beyond those natural abilities, Daniel and his friends show us what it means to be faithful to God. It starts with refusing the pagan food. When Daniel says he resolved himself not to defile himself with the king's food, if you read through there, they actually tell the steward of the court there, test us. Don't give us that rich food. Don't give us the wine. We'll just eat vegetables and drink water. And if at the end of the time we look worse, well, then we'll take the food. But of course, at the end of that time, they look better, they're healthier, they're more nourished. Because in their faithfulness towards the Torah, their faithfulness towards God's Word, God honors that faithfulness and God rewards that. And so God takes what we would call their natural abilities, and God places His Spirit upon them and gives them His abilities and His understanding. We see God's faithfulness in multiple ways. In fact, I think as we read through that portion of Daniel and indeed read into the rest of Daniel, part of the reason I think Daniel was faithful in that place was because Daniel genuinely understood and believed God is in control. God is sovereign. God calls the shots of what will ultimately happen. And so therefore, I will be faithful here in the small things. 
I will be faithful in doing what I know God calls me to do. I will do that and I will leave the results to God. And of course, those results come. You know, when I read through this, when I, when I have a look at Daniel taking his faith to work and Daniel being a faithful steward of God's word in the place that he finds himself, I think there are a few lessons that we can get out of Daniel chapter 1. And I think they transfer and they translate for us regardless of where we might find ourselves going to work, whether paid or not paid. I think the first lesson we learn from Daniel is this. Even when our work is not what we might have preferred, and even when our workplace is not conducive to our faith, God is present there. God is actively at work in that context and at work in the lives of his faithful people. And even working in and through the lives of people who do not recognize him. You know, for those of you who might work in secular environments, I would encourage you, learn this lesson from Daniel. Ask the Spirit to open your eyes. And instead of just looking at those negative elements, instead of just looking at those things that seem to be terrible and, and that kind of almost suck the life out of us, learn to see God is at work. Ask God to open your eyes to see people in need of His grace. And then go and be that conduit of grace. I think the second lesson that we learn from Daniel as he takes his faith to work is that no matter where we are, no matter how pagan our surrounding environment in the workplace might be, we are still called by God to trust in God and be faithful to God. So no matter how pagan it might seem, no matter how far from God it might seem, we're still called to be faithful to God. We're still called to do what God expects us to do. And that might mean when we're in a work environment where somebody might want to try and change uh, some financial figures to make things look better or might want to do something that's definitely not ethical, rather than sitting back and going, well, you know, it's a godless place so they can do a godless thing. No, we say to ourselves, hold on. We're called to be faithful, and we're called to trust God with that outcome. I think the third lesson we learn from Daniel is that God shows himself to be the incomparable faithful God, even in the small daily matters of life and work. What concerns God most of all is displaying his own glory for the world to see and experience. And maybe that's the one that we really need to learn. Because we see that in Daniel, even in the small things in their life, right down to just the food they eat. As they show and prove faithful in that, so God shows His glory. And God shows Himself as the incomparable faithful God in those small daily matters. And we need to learn to be faithful and to let Him Get the glory. Work matters. Your work matters to God. Whether that's you preparing to go into a career, 
Whether you're in some sort of corporate or career environment, getting paid for what you do, or perhaps retired and now serving in a volunteer capacity or working with your grandchildren. Every bit of work we have is God-given, and it matters to God. Why? Because it, it shapes our identity. It reflects a little bit of who we are, just as it reflects who God is. Work is a foundation for relationships. Perhaps rather than going into the office and just thinking, well, I'm just going to check off another day because I'm working towards a paycheck, why not think about looking at those around? Saying, how has God placed me into this person's life? What can I do for this person today in a way that brings glory to God? Work is an opportunity. It's an opportunity to serve, to bless, to make a difference. Yes, indeed, work is a source of income. Make no mistake. That brings a whole bunch of other challenges and a whole bunch of other requirements from God as to how we steward that. But it's far more than just money and income. Work is God-given because it brings purpose. It brings meaning to our lives. And you and I on this Labor Day weekend, as we transition from that season of summer, that season of rest, that season of taking a break and going into what lies ahead of us, it's an opportunity to be reminded that what lies ahead of us, God already knows. God is already there. And all God calls for and all God expects from us is to be faithful in that place. Whatever workplace you find yourself in, God is there. I want to close off just a little bit differently this morning. You'll notice I didn't say an in conclusion. Today, I want to pray a prayer of dedication. Ordinarily, at a time like this for the Labor Day weekend, as school's about to start, I know a lot of churches might ask kind of the teachers and those involved in school to stand up, and we have those in our congregation. But today, I want to pray a prayer of blessing on three groups of people. If you are not yet employed, or if you are in the place of looking for work, maybe you find yourself between jobs, because it's not just students and youngsters, if you are a youngster not yet employed or you're in that place of between and you're, you're hoping to find some employment in the near future, I want to pray a prayer of blessing over you. And I'd like to ask you to take a risk and stand up as I pray for you. So if you're not yet employed, if you're looking for work in the future, if you're hoping to be employed, why don't you go ahead and stand up where you are? Some of the youngsters, awesome. Come the youngsters in the back as well. Okay, so you stay standing. If you are currently employed, whether for yourself or for someone else, and you're going to be going into the office, going into work, going somewhere, maybe it's even just your own study, working from home, but if you're employed, I want you to stand up because I want to pray a prayer of blessing over you as well this morning. And the third group this morning, Perhaps you are retired. You used to be gainfully employed. And as I said earlier, if you're not dead, you're not done. There's still a place for you to serve. There is still work that needs to be done until our Heavenly Father calls us home. 
I'm going to ask you, would you stand as I pray a prayer of blessing over you, if you're able to stand? And now, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you are a God who works. You never cease. You sustain us. You work for us. And God, because you are a God who is at work, you have created us in your image to do the same. And though we might see the fall in Genesis and we might think that work is a curse, God, we're reminded that even before that fall, you gave us work to do. And you entrusted work to us. And so God, on this weekend, this Labor Day weekend, as we acknowledge the gift of work, this morning I pray a prayer of blessing. Those standing represent three groups. There are those who are not yet working, perhaps as students and preparing, or perhaps those between jobs trying to find the right job. God, I pray, would you provide work? That those who are looking would find active, gainful employment. And as they do that, that Lord, they would see the blessing of it from you. And they would acknowledge that this is your gift and that you are there. For those students who might still have a few years of school to go as they prepare to enter into the workforce. Even there, would you show them the place where they can serve? Open their eyes to opportunities to bring glory to you where they are. Father, for those in our midst this morning who are employed, whether employed by self or employed by someone else, those who after the rest of tomorrow, after the stat holiday, who will go to it somewhere, God, I pray that you would open their eyes to see this incredible gift you've given them. Let them not sing begrudgingly, hi-ho, hi-ho, it's off to work I go. But rather let them sing with joy and gladness that I get to go. I get to work. Whatever that work might be, whether in a classroom, whether in an office, whether in a medical environment, whether in a legal or law or law enforcement environment, whether in a store, whether in a home. Lord, I pray that they would see all that you have called them to and that they would learn to be faithful by your Holy Spirit to serve in that place. And as they serve and as they work, God, would you give them opportunities to testify to your goodness so that those around them who perhaps are not Christian or Christ followers would want to know the hope and the reason for their hope. And then, Lord, for those who, for whom work is a past tense word, Father, I pray that you would show them even in the retirement season of life, there is still a place to serve. There is still a place to work. Father, I pray for those who perhaps might be at home and, and might be frustrated because they, they used to contribute and do so much more. Even there, may they discover 
The difference they make is they serve you faithfully. Oh God, help all of us not to take for granted what you've given to us and not to take for granted what you call us to do. But may we be found to be faithful because we're not working for someone else. We're working for you. And we serve you because we want to bring glory and honor to you and we want to see your kingdom come in this place. Thank you, Jesus. Help us to take our faith to work. Amen. Amen. The Lord bless you. You may be seated.